Welcome to Sonic Talk number 266, recording today live on Wednesday the 16th of May. will be available on all the usual channels, uh, including SoundCloud that we're using now. We're also uh, putting this up on SoundCloud so you can uh, get hold of it that way, as well as YouTube. Hopefully, if everything goes well with the video recording, I've, rec- I've added a new uh, function to my record button. It passes a MIDI event through one computer, which is used for the switching, to the recording computer with a mouse hovering over the correct button that clicks at the right point. So it's a, it's, it's a fantastic oh, cool. thing. Yeah, well, it makes me happy. Um, it means that I don't have to leave the chair and I can look around and see the numbers go around. Anyway, so welcome, everybody. Uh, Sonic Talk number 266. Um, I've got a couple of guests with me this week. Um, Rich uh, is not available this week, but he did a sterling job of... Uh, just me and him as a duo last week. I very much appreciate that. And I very much appreciate my guests here. And I think I'll start by saying a hello to Mr. PJ Tracy uh, from PJ Tracy Music, uh, because we don't often get to see him in video. So let's just have a big a big hand for PJ Tracy from PJ Tracy. Oh, PJTracySound.com, isn't it? It's your new yes. moniker. So uh, you're there with uh, your your high-quality germanium signal path this week. Are you still using the same one? What are we doing? Uh, SM7? Um- I am doing an SM7B this week through a Chandler Little Devil preamp, um, attempting to um, to up the gain without running it through a compressor or an equalizer. Sounds good, actually. I've got Great. really I've got crummy earbuds on, and your voice sounds really fulsome, and mine sounds terribly thin and tinny. So. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, you sound good. To, you sound good to me. Uh, it must be my buds, actually. I I, sh- I, sh- I usually wear headphones, but uh, I've been trying to kind of. It's my vanity. You see, I want people to see my ears. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. And beautiful ears they are. They man. are, they are. <laughs> but they would go- be better painted green, I think. Golden right? ears, yeah. <laughs> Bragging again, hardly. Anyway, well, yeah. thanks for joining us, PJ. And we'll go straight Good over morning, to sir. Mr. Mark Tinley, who's also joining us uh, this week. Um, likebeing.com. Let's have a look. There's your lower third there. How are you, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Glad you could join us. As I said, when um, there's a picture on your Skype, when you ringing, when I'm ringing you, and you get an icon that comes up, which is your sort of placeholder image, it's you in a bright blue jacket, in a really posh studio, touching the edge of a synth that I couldn't quite, I didn't have quite time to work out. Does that ring any bells as I to where that might be? I think it's sphere, actually. It's sphere, and it's one of those modern blonde ash moogs that uh, I'm touching. Okay. So okay. uh, let's let's make a start. Now I've got a video for this, and there's no reason. Uh, well, let, no, let's go. Let's go to let's let's make a start anyway. So here we go. This is the first topic, and this was uh, this this rather lovely uh, pencil drawing, color pencil drawing of Jean-Michel Jarre, uh, Synthesizer. This is on uh, Red Bull Music Academy. Um, he on May the sixteenth, uh, he did. Um, Academy lecture at Les Nuits Sonores Festival on May the 16th, and somebody interviewed him. Uh, in fact, that somebody was Patrick Thevenin. I really hope I'm not. I'm in a minefield here of French pronunciation, aren't I? Christ, I'm going to get into right trouble. Anyway, um, he he chose his top 10 favourite synthesizers, And um, there's all the usual suspects here. I mean, we would have expected to see the uh, EMS VCS3, and there it is, as you would as you would think. And uh, then we, he's got a little paragraph about each one. It's a good read, actually. And then, obviously, the ARP 2600. Very pleased to see that, too. Uh, the uh, tw- Is that the 20... 20- no, is that the emulator module? ARP 2500. Yeah, that's that one as well. And then Fairlight CMI. 
And then this, the JD800. I was really surprised to see that, which mm. made me think about a couple of things. So I'm going to play a video to kind of intro that. So here we go. Sounds pretty massive. what that's doing in there for some reason. <laughs> that was a Vivi Zola. <laughs> Must have been around World Cup time. <laughs> some lovely stuff in there. I, I know that Dave Spears has been a, a, is a massive exponent of the uh, vintage uh, of the JD800. And I was reading a little bit about it. And uh, on Vintage and Explorer, there's a good paragraph, actually. It says uh, it was the Roland's answer to half a decade of hard-to-program synthesizers and covered in sliders. Uh, The sounds are based on the D50, but updated for the 90s with multimode filters and lots of tweakability. Um, I I will carry on, um, but I wanted to sort of just a quick detour. I'd never really come across one of these. And then, fortunately, Mark, um, it turned out that you were a big fan of the JD800. What, What was so special about it? I'll start by saying that I think Roland were the first company really to get digital filtering right. So in terms of getting anything to sound even vaguely like an analog synth, I think they were kind of leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. I sort of remember like the Korg M1, the yeah. filtering on that was basically like a low-pass filter with no resonance, and the same with... Yeah, it's pretty crummy. Uh, you know, most of the Yamaha stuff. I think maybe the SY77 eventually came along with something. But, um, you know, in terms of, like, getting that digital resonant filter with the 24 uh, decibel per octave kind of roll-off thing happening and sounding convincingly analog, Roland were just way ahead of the game. So they had it in their samplers. So I had an S770 sampler, which had fabulous filters. Oh, yeah, I remember those things. I had a 760. Um, and then the D50 had, like, all the sample stuff in it. So it had, like, loads of samples in it. And they did have a resonant filter, I think, on the waveforms in the mm. D50, but not on the actual samples itself. So when this thing came out, it came out with pretty much the same sample set as the D50 and then, like, a whole load more. Cause, and then there were a whole load of cards that you could plug into the back of it to put more samples in it. Um, frustratingly, you couldn't put your own samples in it. But what it did have were these fabulous filters. And like multi-mode filters, like band pass or low pass or high pass. So you could kind of really start to construct things. Or for me, I could construct things in exactly the same way that I could construct things in my sampler. So it meant that I could build really synth-sounding sounds out of samples. And that's what I like about sample and synthesis, really. And it, it was just sort of a bit ahead of everything else. And then you could layer stuff up, and it had a very nice chorus in it. Um, and other good effects and stuff, and and you know it was playable and controllable. They did. I do remember it kind of went wrong quite a lot when it got dust in it. The, the, uh, uh, well, it does look a bit like it does look a little bit like a kind of uh, PG programmer slapped onto the just the basic brains of something, doesn't it? The, yeah, the faders were very cheap. Actually, the fa- they didn't uh, have the same sort of quality as uh, earlier Roland synths, and it used to uh, randomly reprogram itself. So 
I had one. I owned one, and then I got Nick into them. So Nick Rhodes had one and used to use it live. He might still use it live, actually. But we used to have to turn the... Um, we'd have to turn all the controls off, the, turn the control panel off, because if we didn't, I'd set up a patch for him, and he'd be playing, and it would just suddenly change sound in the middle of a song. Oh, really? Could, um, you, could, as, you switch as, off the, could you switch off all the controls? Or was it a local mode or something like that? I think I turned local off or something, yeah. I know I found a, I found a way of doing it, because after taking it apart several times and cleaning it all out, um, I sort of had to find another solution to it. So, so you'd be familiar with uh, this particular shot here, which is on retrosound.de, um, the, the insides of a JD-800. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, which actually looks... I mean, it's funny. It's obviously that huge surface-mounted uh, board for all the uh, faders and what have you. So that would be the bit that you'd be familiar with, I'd imagine. I had to take a part in South America and we couldn't get any spares for it. And I sort of remember trying to make a part for it out of an old pyro or something <laughs> but it was almost like well if i can't mend this thing we're not going to be able to do the show and it's all you know like one of those moments good grief that is yeah that is a bit heavy um just a few more moments on the uh, the polyph uh, on the specs actually quickly before we come to pj uh 24 voice polyphony rom based digital synthesizer six part multi timbrel i didn't realize that 61 key no arpeggiator or sequencer uh, produced between ninety one and ninety three, I know PJ. Um, did this? Did this? Uh, first of all, this was a bit of a surprise. There is another surprise in this list as well, but we'll come to that in a sec. I mean, did uh, were you surprised to see this on Jar's list, or are you uh, familiar with this machine and know it, it? It needs to be there. Yeah, no, I wasn't all that surprised. I mean, obviously everybody has their own proclivities, but I remember um, trying to find one of these in the late 1990s before the advent of all the internet sites on which you can source these things easily uh, because this synth was the darling of a lot of industrial bands from the late 80s, Skinny Puppy and, and oh. Ministry and bands like that in the early 90s. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, I really want one of these because I was playing in some um, experimental punk synth outfits you know at, at that time and I, I couldn't i couldn't find one uh but uh i remember playing around with it in the shop in the early 90s and thinking wow what a cool synthesizer and as i recall i know dave spears is a huge advocate of this synth at one point we talked about what is our default controller in the ah, studio yeah, yeah, and i yeah. believe this is his yep I believe uh, this is well. The one I guess used. it must have had a good, nice feeling keyboard. But the, the other thing about that, obviously, is that uh, as I've said before, you know, if you've got a synth with lots of controls on it and they all output MIDI CC, although if the faders are knackered and they keep throwing things randomly, it's a really good way to control soft synths if you just map them up because you can just reach for an envelope and reach for a filter, and it's really exactly. easy. Exactly. So this makes perfect yep. sense. And as an aside, in the other room, I have an S50 sampler that somehow I inherited over the years. I just recently dug out of storage. And, is that um, quick discs? What I, does that use? Yeah, I, I, I don't even know. I haven't even, I haven't even looked. I think I that know. uses three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks. Right. I'm most certain it does. Yep. My, uh, my business partner, my studio partner, uh, found it in the garage. So... We're, uh... These are the sort of things that it's nice to just have about the place. In fact, I went up to do some, uh, which is part of our next topic, to do some troubleshooting on a system um, up at Will's place and uh, brought back my uh, trusty Yamaha CS15, which, um, uh, yeah, I haven't tried, I haven't fired it up yet to see what, but it looks great. It looked great with a light on it. Just picture it there in the background. 
against the black backdrop with just you won't be able to see a thing it'll just be like a kind of winking red light <laughs> that'd be fantastic <laughs> well we'll see we'll see if it is um, ominous yeah well certainly um let me see um if we go back to uh michel jar's top fa- uh, top 10 favorite hits obviously we have the jd 800 then uh, the memory moog which i would fully expect to be there to be honest i mean that's uh, that's one of his signature sounds rmi um keyboard computer i remember seeing it i've not actually touched one of those in person what's this one this is uh eminent 310 which looks like a sort of organ i think that must have been some sort of uh it was like a string machine, the Eminent. It had good strings on it, didn't it? And then, rather bizarrely, the Teenage Engineering OP1, which is great. That, uh, that I mean, he seems to say that this is a classic. I, he says, in fact, I'm sure that musicians will be still be using the OP1 in 50 years, which is quite a bold claim. And, uh, of course, the Mellotron, the 1963 one. Uh, I don't know if there was anything else in there that you would... That you've the any of the oddities in there that you've actually had the chance to play with yourself, Mark? I mean, a, only the VCS three, but um, well, actually, no, I haven't played with VCS three. I played with an AKS synthy, but it's actually the same thing in a different box. So, I've um, I'm going to buy one of those before I die. I've always wanted the idea of having the synth in the suitcase is just there's something really kind of uh, I don't know what it is. It's, it appeals to both. Uh, my love of synthesizers and of luggage at the same time. <laughs> so it's an absolutely perfect synthesizer for me. I know Dave just got hold of a, a synthy AKS and I'm incredibly envious. I'd love, I, I've never been able to get a decent sound out of a VCS3. I must have been ever. Oops, you're not rich, are you? Oh, I use, I really use that a lot, for, especially for processing other synths that yeah. don't sound quite as interesting. But what I really like about it is those little pegs that you put in the breadboard and the, the fact that the breadboard looks like battleships did when yeah. i was a kid and also the, i just feel like i should have someone on the other side of it like with another breadboard and we should like yeah. do that thing that rich hilton you and sunk I, my battleship yeah facing opposite each other with laptops but we should do it Be brilliant our... and you can press a sound and if the sounds are in any way similar there's something happens that you have to take a drink or something maybe I yeah. don't know. <laughs> ems a vcs3 drinking game now that is a brilliant idea um mark uh did you know anything about the pins on the VCS3? Because there's different colours, aren't there? There are different colour plot and different. Um, do you know what yeah, that was? I, I remember I reading... know what they were, and I can't remember what they were. Some of them had capacitors in them. Some of them were just ah for attenuation. Some of them had capacitors, and some of them had resistors. So they did slightly different things. There were red ones, green ones, and beigey coloured ones. Right. I think. Okay, uh, I, I can't remember. Somebody in the chat room will definitely know this um, for sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, as your head in the chat room says, uh, just stick a VCS through, just stick a, um, an SK-1 in a suitcase and then it'll solve my problem for my both. But sadly, I don't think that's quite going to do. I know, but PJ, any, have you seen any of those things in the flesh? Because um, some of them are pretty, I mean, they're pretty random. I mean, the Mellotron you'd expect to see, and may, I imagine you yeah. might have. Have you ever had your hands on a memory Moog? I have, actually, Ooh, yep. I've never, uh, I never you- have, actually. Yep. Years and years ago, one was brought into this studio um, when I was uh, working in here in the in the 1990s and and uh, got to play it. Yeah. And it was yeah, it was amazing. Also, I've played around with the Cynthia AKS and I, too, would like to own one of those. Um, I think running anything through it gives it this kind of burnish that I just love. You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful filter. Um, and then. 
uh, other than that, uh, I'm trying to think. No, but I'm interested in the Teenage Engineering OP1. That that looks like a really, really cool little little box. It is. Um, I mean, I reviewed it, as you know. I only had it for a very short yep. it, It's one of those, th- I mean, at the time, I remember, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. You kind of almost want it, whether it's any good or not, because it's so. It's just such a beautiful piece of design and, and engineering. Um, and but it is, you know, is it's. I mean, it's not sonically all that rewarding. I must admit, but I mean, it's just it's great fun. Does it reward experimentation? Um, I'm just trying to think back now. Uh, it's the sort of thing that once you kind of get fluent in it, I think you could quickly throw together some groovy ideas. But I don't think that they're necessarily going to be any better than, say, using the IK oscillator or the. Or the or the chaos later two or something like that. I mean, obviously, because really it's going to be more of a sketch pad for a lot of people, and you're likely to flesh that out later anyway. But I mean, the fact that you okay. can export things and and what have you is pretty good. And there are some interest, and it has been updated a few times, so there have been some interesting differences in the the OS. I'm not I'm not familiar with it because I don't have it anymore, so I can't I can't say what they are exactly. But um, yeah. It, it's a hard, I mean, particularly for the Americans, it's a hard price to swallow because it's not cheap. You know, it's an expensive no. piece. Of, I mean, it's like 800 euros, so it's going to be about a thousand bucks, I reckon, or something approaching that. So, yeah, and for that, you can buy a, a Tetra or a, buy a JD800. Yeah, you could buy a JD800, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, let's see. Or a V synth. Than... I yeah. bought a V synth. Absolutely love the V synth. All oh, right. Um, what does what the JD800 go? What did you get the V synth for out of interest? I mean, um, price-wise, if it's not uh, six fifty, I think six fifty or seven hundred. I can't remember. Right. Is that the rack-mounted version or the one with the? Oh, keyboard? I bought one with yeah. the keyboard because I needed some keys because I kept playing everything on little keys and my music was getting a bit kind of, you know, constrained to two octaves. And I thought, hang on a minute, Need why am I else. only writing these kind of music with such narrow kind of sonic? <laughs> All your bass lines were just one octave. Keyboard, yeah. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, um, we had Roland in um, last week, and we did a little Q and A session with uh, the JP50. Uh, had a demonstrator came down uh, by the name of Gareth Bowen, uh, who is an independent guy. Actually, it was really interesting. I was talking to him sort of during the day when we were filming the stuff, and it turns out he was Tricky's musical director for like fifteen years. So he was the, he put all of the music that Tricky made in the studio together for a band to play live. Because I know Tricky um, actually did tour quite a lot and he's been all over the world with that until quite recently and um so yeah if you i'll try and get that edited up for next week and uh, that would be quite interesting I'm forward to that. Uh, it was good i mean yeah. because he was quite honest and straightforward you know and it what didn't feel like a sales pitch because i said well i'm not convinced that you know this that and this. so i hope it comes it comes across that way because it's it's always difficult to figure out how to pitch these product demonstrators come down to show something because they've obviously got a sales job to do, whereas I've got an editorial job to do. So I'm hoping we, I think we got this one about right. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that came out. Um, and then uh, I just wanted to make a small mention then if anybody wants any experience with the sounds of that organ, the, em- the eminence organ, the eminent organ, right. that uh, it's included in Dave Spears's string machine. Ah, uh, yes, it uh, is. In the VSM, yeah, that's yep. true. Yep. And it's got that, the Eminent has got a, uh, a real quality to it, hasn't it? It's that sort of, it's almost Selena-like, but it's, it's, it's quite different, isn't it, at the same time? It's the predecessor to the Selena, isn't it? Isn't uh, that? Yes, I think you could be yeah. right. Although, I'm, let me just have a look at this one. 
I don't think that has that be the predecessor that looks a bit older than a Selena, or maybe it's a bit uh, sorry, a bit newer than a Selena. Those failures, maybe it's something slightly different. What does he say yeah, about it? Um, Nineteen seventy. Um, it's uh, oxygen and equinox. He used it heavily to this day, along with VCS three. They're one of the fundamental instruments of my music. It's an organ developed by the Dutch, who were first to figure out how to create chords from electronic sounds. Uh, it was a string on side. Oh, yes, you know, you're right. It was from this first. It looks very futuristic, actually, isn't it? Those fader caps look look almost 80s. Ah. Yeah. Um, uh, the background story to the sound uh, is that the VCS3 and the eminent pass through a small stone, which is the phaser. Oh, it's those kind of um, oxygen pads and equinox pads, isn't it? Those uh, for, for guitars would create a very opulent sound, but more electro. Good article, though. And I don't know if the actual... Um, uh, the, the, his talk will be uh, on YouTube somewhere, but um, I'm guessing it would be in French. So some, if it is, I mean, maybe someone can translate it and be quite interesting to see. Do either of you have any experience with the original Fairlight? Because I know that, that that's listed there. I, I played with a Fairlight Series 2 and a Fairlight Series 3, but no, I've never had uh, No, I never have. I've seen one. Um, out at, uh, we've been out at Gabriel's place uh, a couple of times. In fact, we went out and he let us film... I think it was the original Fairlight um, for because we did for a top twenty greatest synth or greatest samplers. It was in that, and it was in mm-hmm. a room, and we got to we got to rec- um, you know they couldn't fire it up, but we were allowed to film it and, and get some pretty shots of it. <laughs> but I, yeah, I like. I'm thinking about um, buying some you know like, like five inch floppies, and well, they were more than that when they giant floppies and things, and just eight adorning them around the pl- eight inch floppies and adorning them around the place just to sort of uh, I don't know putting them outside on the walls. A- on that original Fairlight, were you able to edit directly on the screen with the pen? Ooh, let me see. Has it got a pen in the picture? Let me see that. Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. But it I looks like it. Wrong. Oh, as early as 1979. It looks oh. like There we go. Look, there is a pen there or something wow. hanging from the screen. That's quite That's remarkable technology, isn't it? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. It is amazing. <sighs> who hasn't got an eight, eight inch floppy says Puckatronic in the chat room thank you very much for that that's the sort of thing that we um, that we like to see in the chat room the usual bawdy bunch that you are <laughs> right um, I, I'm guessing it's probably time to do our uh, thank our sponsor because um, it's uh, well, that, that topic was was Got a lot of mileage out of that. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. So anyway, I'm going to say um, a word from our sponsor. And if you're watching the video stream, you will be seeing beautiful uh, uh, video of the uh, Yamaha O1V96i, which is a digital desk from Yamaha, compact digital console, 16 in, 16 out on USB audio streaming, uh, new high-quality head amps, there's mic amps there, which I think are in the same um, Steinberg interfaces that I know PJ was very pleased with the sound of, and uh, they're obviously very pleased and want me to point that out on this as well. Uh, it's got VCM effects, so onboard DSP, uh, master strip, channel strip, vintage stomp effects, a RevX reverb, 40 mixing channels, 8 analog, 8 digital outputs, that's one ADAT output that is built as standard with a spare slot which is a YGDAI slot. So you can put things like AES cards or another ADAT card or SPDIF, all sorts of stuff, or more analog in the spare slot. Uh, advanced 
door support comes with Cubase AI. It could be used as a control service surface. Uh, you can cascade a couple of them together if you need more mix channels. And 100 millimeter motorized faders. In fact, Gaz, um, we've got one delivered here because um, I'm, I'm going to be reviewing it in the next couple of weeks. And Gaz was checking it out because he was thinking, you know, actually, I carry all these things around me, mic amps and control surfaces, uh, monitoring and all this sort of thing. And if I just take one of these, it's got all of this power in it. And I think it goes in a 19-inch rack as well. So, you know, I know we're all about, a lot of people are about in the box, but sometimes it's good to have something that is just built for the purpose and you don't have to worry about all of that stuff. So do check out an, an O1V96i from Yamaha. If you're in the UK, go to one of the Pulse stores, which is a store within a store um, in some of the larger dealers. Uh, or in the US, uh, any of the larger Yamaha dealers should have one in stock, run some audio through it, maybe try a mic, see what it sounds like. In fact, you could record some audio because it's got a 16 channels io uh, over usb which is hard to believe i'm looking forward to testing that so you can route the you've got 16 returns as well which can all, all get full, also get full channel strips anyway thanks once again to yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show right that was uh that um now let me see now this is something that has really flummoxed me right so automatic delay compensation right is a good thing. Yeah. One thinks is a great thing, in fact. And it, uh, essentially, you know, to, just to sort of um, clarify, what it does is internally it calculates the amount of delay that any kind of processing or plug-in latency and lines everything up so that it all matches. So if you've got a channel with a bunch of plugins across it and it delays everything by, you know, 24 samples or something, some such like, all the rest of the channels will be aligned. So you don't get this kind of disparate... Uh, problem where, where audio is just going out of sync and out of alignment um but the other day i was up at um a studio trying to get um uh some kenton midi devices working and the the whole set the, the the door was set up to have adc across everything but when i was recording the midi we were playing this midi and I, we got a click and we we were just playing a beat time just to, trying to trigger the, the some moog modulars and it was all happening before the beat. So it was delaying everything apart from the MIDI, which is real. And, and that's a real gotcha. I know in Logic, it does, I don't know if there are other doors where it does that. Um, but this was a real gotcha because it, it took us ages to figure out what the hell was going on. So if any of you um, kind of have this experience, because there, there is an issue with delay compensation, and that is... Not all doors are equal when it comes to that, and there are certainly settings that you can have which will affect the way that uh, real-time performance or real-time instruments and inputs will work. So, for instance, here in Logic, I don't know if you can see this, I'll try and uh, zoom it in a bit more. Uh, there's uh, the, the plug-in latency, you can have it off or, or just on audio and software instrument tracks or all, which would mean buses and what have you. If you have it across audio and software instrument tracks, then everything is as it should be. When you record something, it's all timestamped, it's all lined up. But if you put it on all, which will give you the buses and orcs as well, then that's when your MIDI goes completely out of whack. And I just wondered whether there, you had any sort of tricks or tips to how you would how you use or set up ADC in your system. I don't know. Uh, what what has I know you use Cubase, don't you, um, uh, um, I do. PJ? What's the, what, how, how does the ADC work in that? ADC is uh, a background process largely in Cubase unless you're um, using hardware as inserts um, because when you use hardware to record into the system, now, now I don't have a lot of experience with running external hardware as MIDI in Cubase. Because I haven't done that for so many years until recently that uh, I was using actually Pro Tools and before that Vision and, and other sequencers, Digital Performer, uh, for that purpose. Uh, 
Uh, however, my understanding is that direct monitoring takes care of all of that. In yeah, Cubase. if you're, and, if you're yeah. doing, have you tried? Because this is the yep. thing. Because we hadn't actually come across uh, this issue before. Because everything's been in the box, you know. So you're recording right. your, uh, you know, the, the virtual instruments. Everything is, is, and then suddenly you're working with the outside world again with MIDI, and suddenly it's like, wow, what's happened? Everything has gone completely wrong, and it's a real, it was a real yep. sort of shock to the system, actually. I, I really appreciate the way that Cubase has implemented uh, automatic delay compensation. It's it's it was the first of the sequencers to do it, as I understand it, because Steinberg at least brags that point in all of their literature. Uh, it's extremely well implemented, and I never really have to think about it unless I'm I'm. Uh, I did have to think about it recently while I, when I was setting up a partial normalization to our patch bay with. Uh, uh, with the software and trying to figure out how to set up all of my hardware inserts and how I want them implemented. And then it was just a matter of, of entering in, uh, you know, the proper delay compensation for my uh, A, to, A to D and D to A converter coming back. And then it takes care of it automatically in the background. However, uh, as an exercise, because we're running a hybrid room, I have a Mac 8-core and then a PC set up here. Largely, I use Cubase for my own work, but I wanted to become more familiar with the current version of Logic, so I started some projects in Logic. Right. Um, and I don't so much care for the way that uh, automatic delay compensation is, is uh, implemented in Logic. And I found that when I was starting a project, it was better to have it off and then only turn it on when, when you need I it. got to the mixing phase. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's not necessarily a bad idea. Um, in the chat room, which uh, does allow me to uh, tie in um, yet another uh, sponsor, um, basically uh, Sonic Eight One O Eight. So the best video on latency from Mac is from Mac Pro Video on that, and very much detail, including Nick's problem. Uh, and I'd just like to point out that if uh, indeed you are thinking of going to Mac Pro Video and downloading any videos, if you go to sonicstate.com forward slash MPV, you will save 20% on any uh, download pay, um, that you might want to uh, purchase. So if you want to find out more about that, including this very good video that uh, Sonic 8108 points out, uh, that will save you 20%. sonicstate.com forward slash MPV, just to uh, get a little plug in there for that. Uh, right, hold on, sorry, I'm getting a bit switched out here. Right there, that can take some layers off. Mark, uh, do, you, do you find that you're using, um, how does how does ADC work in your environment? You're a Logic user as well, right? No, I use Logic and Pro Tools, and I quite often end up in Logic because I try to do things in Pro Tools to I either don't know how to do, that's possible, but I'm just not using it correctly, or it can't do. So I tend, because I tend to do quite a lot of things with uh, a lot of MIDI, I just yeah. find it easy to work on that in Logic at the moment. Although Pro Tools is, I mean, I'm not on the most recent version of Pro Tools, so it may have caught up. Of course, well, yeah, but, Pro, Pro Tools... Uh... Um, Pro Tools has uh, the, 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 certainly version 10. Well, I don't know what version you're on, but the later versions, the MIDI's got an awful lot better. Because it used to have to root I, things and, you know, it was a bit clunky, but now it's... See, I did a live show. I did a live show. Woohoo! Well, yeah, Oh, recently? Yes, on Saturday the 5th of May. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations. I was in a punk band in 1982 called Peeping Toms. And uh, they did a 30th year anniversary show, and they invited me along to go and play with them. So when I did the live show, I thought, I really want to know if I was any good or not. <laughs> so I got uh, my little handheld kind of Zoom-style recorder, and I recorded 
the show using that. Because I ran the backing tracks on a computer, that meant that I could throw that recording back in the computer with the backing tracks and time align it and kind of use that as a point because there were some tempo changes and stuff and I wanted to be able to get those, you know, be able to edit things. Um, and then I realized I'd forgotten to start recording the show at the beginning, but my partner Gina had been videoing the show. So I thought, well, that's digital as well. Her camera's digital. So I got uh, the recording she made in her iPhone and I threw that into Logic. And I, sorry, I threw this all into Pro Tools first. So I threw my backing tracks into Pro Tools. I threw... Uh, the recording I made on the night in the handheld recorder into Pro Tools, and then I threw her video stuff in. And then I kind of tried processing the different sounds to try and make, um, you know, the crowd sound kind of sound nice and to make the backing tracks what, work. More people the in the audience, you mean? <laughs> All going, <"Way!" laughs> Mark, you're great. We love you, Mark. <laughs> but what I noticed was that when I tried to, you know, when I lined everything up, then when I put plugins on of course everything goes out of time with itself and even though it's supposed to uh compensate for that it doesn't always do it very well it certainly doesn't do it with phase accuracy so i gave up in pro tools and ended up in logic again and was uh but still had the same problems really i was so i ended up having to do long fades in and out of um you know in and out of crowd sound and really that is surprising i am surprised at that i would have thought that with you know just a couple of stereo tracks it should be able to get that right surely no it's because i i'd get the things in phase with one another and then uh if i'm i think it was more about well what i wanted to do was i wanted to drag i kind of like to drag audio about between different tracks as well so, so anyway something was happening where are you sure it's not the fact that the it, two clocks were ever so slightly out so i mean you're not going to get sample sync for the duration without the two things being locked to the same clock i mean that's just unlikely i mean it's possible but it's unlikely oh sure no i know i understand yeah. that okay i mean i think that the, the iphone recording was probably the worst hmm. I, you know the live and also the fact that Gina was standing 100 feet away from the stage or 50 feet, or I don't know how big the place was. I don't know about feet. <laughs> but, you know, there will be a time delay yeah. between where she was standing and, and then if she moved around, which she did, then that, of course, messes around with the time delay and things are going to go in and out of sync and stuff when, you know, depending on where she was standing because it mm. was a big enough place that that would have made a difference. But... um I don't know. I just sort of noticed that normally for me, I just switch it on and don't worry about it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you get a situation where suddenly it's like, oh, what's this? You know, it's something that's been going on behind the scenes that just you thought was taking care of stuff is now interfering and getting in uh, in the way. Some interesting chats, uh, some comments in the chat room about uh, about Logic being absolutely great for MIDI, um, but, uh, but Live being, you know, by far the best for... Uh, uh, for audio and uh, and that we should perhaps read the manual because <laughs> the one thing that I have noticed about you know I didn't even know this setting existed in Logic or that there was that granularity of the you know switching between uh, everything and software and instrument tracks and the fact that you can kind of tweak it I just really didn't know that so I mean I'm a bit behind the times myself a little bit so so I mean I'm guessing things have moved on a little bit even since we use MIDI because I mean literally what was Will was trying to do was just trying to get his analog synths plugged into the Kentons 
so that he could run it alongside some stuff that he was doing. And it was just that simple. And just that process opened up this whole huge can of worms. And we also, we spent about 30 minutes trying to figure out what the heck was going on because it was almost impossible to, to diagnose. And that, that That's was all? the culprit. Only what? 30 minutes? Well, it might have been a bit longer. <laughs> Maybe <You're> 35. <laughs> <laughs> so the MIDI was the MIDI ahead then? And it just the didn't... MIDI was ahead, yeah. But then what was really right. bizarre, we had this even weirder thing. When it was switched to all... You would play so that you have some audio playing. You'd have the count in on the click. You'd play to the MIDI, and then it would record and play back. But you'd get double the latency, so it was it was nothing like what you play because obviously you've got the delayed. It's compensated from the beginning, so you're already you know sixty milliseconds out because of the ADC, and then it compensates on the recording on top of that. So you end up being like one hundred and twenty milliseconds out. Because there's one thing that Logic has got, which is quite cool, uh, assuming everything works well, is at MIDI objects, you can actually have them ADC for MIDI as well. So it just lines oh. everything up. Uh, in the side, it's in, if you go to the, uh, the track info, and it's, you have the info box open, then I think it's either for the part or for the entire track. You select a part, and it says delay. If you click on the delay and bring the menu down, it gives you, uh, you know, you can, you've got presets, but it's also got automatically compensate which is a nice little extra. Oh. It's useful for MIDI. So if, that, if you get in a mess, try messing around with all of those, uh, so, those solutions and see if any of them work. And if, let me know if it takes you less than 30 minutes to figure out what the hell's going on. Because that, that uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting topic um, myself, but uh, perhaps a bit specific. Um, uh, oh, Mechanic says in the chat room that hopefully Copperland is the solution. That's an interesting uh, idea. I, 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 you know, we have spot, we have talked about uh, Copperland a few times, and I really would like to see it come in because there were some great applications. And what was really cool about the Copperland people, I know we're going off in a bit of a tangent, is they build all these brilliant little gizmos and sort of you could do this with it. But because they are the technology rather than the applications, they can't make it because it's seen as competing with their potential partners, which seems to me is that they need to start a new company that just just implements all these brilliant ideas they have oh. and then maybe it would be a little more um the, the take-up would be better because that if as soon as somebody builds a must-have application then everybody's going to want it i mean like the, the thing that copperland was good for was the uh uh the cv the midi to cv and the uh trigger and gates and things that was brilliant i forget the uh the name of the of the, the hardware for that but um it, that was pretty good couldn't it's they the license shame, their but... designs oh sorry well, yes, I think they actually allow, uh, you know, that they, they have their application sales team will assist anybody who wants to embed it in them and help them make um, something and maybe uh, offer tweaks and suggestions and what have you. So, so, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing so, but it just needs to get critical mass really before that's going to happen, I suppose. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I do too. So. It's a shame Dave Spears isn't on this topic about plug-in and latent plugins and latency compensation because I think I'm almost certain that he's spoken about it before and I think that he said that for a, a digital audio workstation to work that stuff out it asks the plugin and the plugin reports its delay compensation to the door right so if if I'm a, a an EQ plugin and I'm delaying everything by 256 samples or something, I just have that written in my code somewhere, and and then the door can just add those numbers up depending on what plugins I've put in my channel strip, and it works it all out. But I've got a sense that those 
numbers are often inaccurate. So my phase coherence problem was down to one particular plug plugin, which I'm not going to name and shame. Right. Um, which must have been reporting to the door that I'm doing this, and it clearly wasn't doing that. It was doing something totally different. So it was throwing everything out of time. I suppose that, I, but I suppose been. the challenge must be, like for instance, if you've got something that has multiple potential processing modules within it within a plugin exactly and you switch one them on or off then they're going to introduce more latency and, and unless you just kind of go well even if you only got eq on i'm going to set, tell that 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 we're going to be delaying it by the maximum possible number of samples i mean that might be yeah. good practice but it's not good for the listener is it because it's like wow that's really screwing with the sound if you haven't maybe got adc set up it's going to make it sound wrong so it must be quite difficult, and if it varies, then it depends how often the door polls the plugin. Because if the if the plugin can't go, excuse me, are my ADC settings change? You need to do update to this. I guess it does it every time you hit play, doesn't it? There must be a calculation that goes right. Okay, what are we all doing? Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. I, I'm guessing that's how yeah. it works, but I, I don't know. I mean, yes, it is a shame. Yeah, I'm not I'm not certain of the veracity of all of that, but I do know that uh, the harder you hit the CPU. Um, the less reliable ADC becomes, right? Yeah. So if you if you have an older, uh, you know, an older machine, uh, it can it be, it can become problematic pretty quickly. So the answer uh, is, the, well, I, was, I was running an older machine with a plugin that does everything that you can possibly think of to make something sound better. Yeah, uh, that might be that might be the issue. So, Mark, yeah. could you do me a favour and unplug and replug your headset? It sounds like it's just sort of deteriorating a little bit. It's done that thing where it's slightly crunching up. If I'm you're, deteriorating. if you, yeah, it's sort of just. It's... I'm a little bit worried about this computer because I think the computers. I think that Skype has. Uh, oh my god! Eating up all the resources. Yeah, I think it's got a memory leak. My version of Skype, or when I'm running video, something weird's happening because. It, uh, I mute it sometimes, and now it's got to the point where I can't actually mute and unmute anymore at the moment. Because <laughs> uh... when we started this conversation, I mean, the video looks amazing, and the audio is really good as better? well. Has that made a difference? Not really, but you know, we'll live with it. It's not. It's not unlistenable. It just. Uh, it was better before. Uh, in fact, uh, the chat room is suggesting that your son has hacked your PC. Uh, <laughs> if you were I think you sound there. like Dave Dave Robinson broadcasting. From yeah, you his, do uh, sound a bit conference room in yeah, yeah in central London. <laughs> That's very true. Not far off there. Not far off the mark. Right. Um, what else have we got? Ah, well, I enjoyed. I'm glad we got that one out of the way. And uh, then we've also got. Oh gosh, we've got loads, haven't we? I didn't, I didn't realize we we must be. Uh, um, what should we do next? Does anyone want to do? Um, I, I tell you what, let's do uh, Google Hangouts first, because um, this is quite thrilling, I think, potentially. Anyway, so just hold on there a minute. Um. Honey, honey, you got me feeling some kind of way. I can't explain, but I'll give it one more try. My heart's racing and my legs are shaking now. Try not stare, but I can't control my eyes. I'm hanging out on the Great Barrier Reef. I'm following on Google. I wish I was. See myself and others launch our exciting new project to reveal the ocean. We're here to sing for this beautiful woman who is having her birthday in the hospital. Right, I'm going to I'm going to pause it there because there's lots of uh, lifestyle nonsense in that. But essentially, Google Hangouts. We've all heard about this as part of the Google Plus thing, and you know 
probably most of the people on the planet have got some attachment with Google, whether it be a email account or you know whatever, uh, or use the search engine. But now um, with Google Hangouts, which is like kind of video conferencing thing, they've added this new thing called On Air, which allows you to you still have up to ten participants. But it allows you to broadcast it so you can embed the player and then people can watch, you know, unlimited number of people can watch it, which uh, seems like it could be a pretty cool idea. But at the same time, the video is recorded and linked to your YouTube account. So it's archived and uploaded to YouTube at the same time or also after. I don't know. It must be a staging server somewhere. I don't know of the quality of this, but this could be. I mean, they're using music and a band's performance there to great effect, uh, you know, to kind of show the um, the potential there. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, damn right. I, I don't know, this seems like a brilliant idea. Mark, I'm, I'm waiting for that gig from your living room, your sitting room, you know, where you, where you can uh, get, get your guitar out and do, do some songs and you can, you can do it like, you know, I don't know, let's say every, every Saturday night um, on the first of the month or something, you know, nearest the first of the month, let's do that, let's have the Mark Club night. Yeah, come on, okay, let's do it. Oh dear, that's really gone Ooh. wrong now. <laughs> I think what you might do is you might need to um, quit Skype and restart again, and I'll go to PJ while you do that, if that's all right. Okay, mate, all right. PJ, this seems, yes, I mean, for someone like you who can play, you know, the, the socks off a piano, surely, is this exciting? I mean... It, yeah, no, this, I mean, is, this is tremendously exciting, and... Yeah, and, and for one very specific reason, um, I am getting ready, uh, and I was going to make mention of this on a future show, not too distant future show, to do this very thing that ah. you just suggested of Mark. Um, we just rebuilt our booth, which has a piano in it, and right. I want to start doing a live performance series from that booth. Um, I think probably once a week, maybe more often if I have the time, and uh, I think that and have some guests and create a blog from that. But this, this technology is fantastic because that's, this would allow me to do a live broadcast, archive it directly to YouTube, link it to my website, um, and possibly garner more exposure than I would get from simply pushing it from my own blog or my own YouTube Well, the channel. fact, you, yeah, tying it in with YouTube is, uh, I mean, you know, just, just the st- since we've been putting this on YouTube, it's, you know, the, the viewership's gone up because we get, you know, thousand or whatever extra viewers just from the youtube video right so um it, it, i find that kind of quite hold on i'm just gonna there we are we marks marks change the balance of power on the screen there and <laughs> just do that um and it's also the fact that all of these uh all of these streams and the way that you would embed this video is all aggregated in one process so like you say you you do this live broadcast and it goes to Google Hangouts and is immediately archived to your YouTube channel and then you can embed it on your website. It it's simplifies the process of creating uh, a live performance and then a, a show for future uh, Oh, well, it certainly reference. does. I mean, the only thing that I'm kind of missing from this concept, I mean, there, there are other, other aspects to it which I think are worth mentioning, but I think the only thing that I'm missing from this concept is the idea that... Uh, we have to use the browser as the client. You know, if I could have some more robust software solution where I can just go, right, take this stream and feed it to the the, the node within the Googleplex that, yeah. that can just receive it. So I can control the quality. I can. I don't need to worry about the Hangouts. You know, that there, that there needs to be a more robust, because doing it in the browser is not terribly robust and it means you can't address uh, um, multiple video devices and audio becomes an issue, those sort of things. So it'd be, Google, and, Google should sell an upgrade, a professional upgrade 
in well, which that, you would have a desktop client. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah. Bu- I would buy that. I mean, it's very similar to Wirecast and all those kind of things that you can get these professional products that do that. And uh, video, oh, was it called Video Toaster? Video, can't remember. I tried one on the PC a little while back, but yeah, all of this stuff actually makes makes this sort of thing potential. Because if you think about it, we're talking about going to a a gig. Uh, hold on, setting up a gig. I'm just going to get Mark because he's. I think he's sorted himself out uh quickly before i come back in uh mm. Mm. is that you i can't see you oh here we go i'll call him now there we go sorry about that folks let's see if we can get mark back on the picture hey mark how are you doing? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. You're very quiet now. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, it sounds like you've got your headset in, in your pocket or something. Okay, that's, oh, that's better. better. Yeah, there we go. So I was just, we were just talking with, Mark, um, with PJ about this, the idea of Google Hangouts. I mean... D- is that something that you, you know, you, I mean, PJ's going to be doing this kind of thing. I mean, do, do you, you think this... me into Dave Robinson then. Do you think this is going to be something that, <laughs> that would appeal to you? Or... Uh, do I think it's going to be something that would appeal to me? I don't, I actually, from uh, the point of view of uh, some other things that I do, not just music, yeah, yeah, I think it could probably be quite useful, actually, uh, for having, I don't know, kind of a... Um, coaching calls or spiritual discussions or those kinds of things it could probably be quite cool but i don't quite understand how do you have 10 people in a room do you and well, you then can, anybody you, well, can watch it. the way that it works yeah you can have up to 10 participants in google hangouts and you get the kind of the screen with the, the other screens below and when they talk that it takes that it automatically switches to them which i think could be a little bit confusing unless you were using it for multiple cameras that'd be kind of cool but then that's going to be difficult oh. over the network uh, but then that whole that that whole pro, you know that whole event with however many people are participating in it can then be embedded so people can view what's going on rather than participate and I, I don't know if there's a chat element to it but I would like to try it but as I was saying to PJ I, it's a shame that it has to be in the browser I want a more robust client really so that I could you know for instance what we do here you know it's taken me yeah. quite some time to get the technology together to be able to make all of this you know and all this switching happen with all of the you know the various uh, you know, cameras and what have you. And I can't, I don't see how I can interface that with a kind of browser-based plugin. It just doesn't feel robust enough. And I think that would be, uh, that would be kind of something that I'd want to, want to try out. But I mean, I'm guessing if you think about it, you know, you, when you go to play a gig, you might take a sound guy, you've got a van, you've got a drive. I mean, why not? Wouldn't it be better just to kind of do your garage up and just do the gigs from there? Do you think we may be ending up in a situation where this is replacing some, not all, of the live event market? So, you know, small gigs where a band's playing. I mean, mm. it, it, it's not the same thing, admittedly. Do you think there is a, there no. is a way it could? I'm, no. I'm, oh, oh I'm sorry, Mark. Please go ahead. I was just getting overexcited because I did go to a gig on the 5th of May and I haven't been to a gig for years and years and years. And the reason I don't go to gigs is because I have social anxiety and I don't really like talking to human beings. You know, this is quite comfortable for me because I'm in my own environment. Sure. And it's kind of like I can chat to you guys and you're on the screen and there's no real, you know, problem with it. But face-to-face communication for me can sometimes be a bit difficult. 
But I just, I just, I loved going to a gig on the fifth of May. I was in, the, I was in this really loud, noisy pub with this really kind of honky PA, and like uh, the guitarist was too loud, and the drummer had really like bright cymbals, and just the whole atmosphere of it. How could you do that over the internet? I don't think you could. Yeah. And and even though there's elements of that I don't enjoy, there's elements of it that I just wouldn't give up for you know, love, love, nor money. Yeah, so. well, of course. But it'd be interesting. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a whole set of plugins so you can actually, you just get something that over-maximizes all of the outgoing audio so that it's just really <laughs> loud and over-compressed and, and slightly distorted and a bit crappy. Oh, that, that will happen. <laughs> That's already happening. I could well, do I, that. I, 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 I could do I that think, already, uh, yeah. I think we definitely... Um, you know, we're definitely looking at simply an extension of already existing venue. So it, it's similar, um, but in real time. Oh, so to the gig will be happening, but then also there'll be a stream as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like um, being involved in on the back end of taping a DVD, uh, a DVD, um, you know, of, of a concert or, you know, a, a video file of a concert. So it's it's almost like um, it's almost like being first to preview the video of the of the of the dvd of the concert and i think that that's a unique uh venue but certainly not one that i i feel anyway would replace the live experience there's just nothing like being in front of a wall of sound no that's true well how about this i mean let's just sort of riff on this for a bit imagine you know you've got a small venue and it can only seat you know i don't know 100 people say but if they got this right they could increase. They could. They could either upsell to uh, an aggregator of this kind of thing, where people would subscribe and they'd get additional revenue based on you know this stuff just going out live, or you know a, a, as another thing, you you would then get um, a, a sort of change in the way that home theatre and active speakers and stuff are created. So you can cr- somehow through the technology create a more gig-like experience. Whether that be, you know, you've got just the speakers become slightly more quality, slightly able to handle rougher audio, so they just kick it out a little bit, you know, without being super loud. And why, hey, why not even, uh, you know, you can press a little button that uh, squirts a beer smell out of some port of the, uh, the back of your... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here, here's, here's, you bring up a good point, Nick. Perhaps yeah. this will revive people's interest in having better quality audio systems at home. You know, once they begin to realize that this is a viable way to experience uh, live music uh, or they appreciate this experience. But, yeah, you you bring up a good point. This could spin off several, um, you know, several different iterations of business models. Uh, And I think it's exciting. It's really exciting, especially for performing musicians and and others like Mark. Uh, was saying it'll be great for seminars for teaching, and this type of thing has already been done to some degree for yeah for quite a while. In the yeah. chat room, as you had saying, I must be missing something about things called live streams already, and you are absolutely right. I mean, this stuff yep. does happen, but the fact that Google yep. have launched something that makes anybody with a webcam able to broadcast without having to set up—I mean, you know—the amount of time and energy I had to explain, you know. Exp- to just get this setup working, multi-camera switching, all of it. I mean, agreed, it's more fancy than what more people want. But, you know, just maybe just decent audio and maybe a couple of cameras, which you'd want for something like this, is yeah. incredible. This, in effect, know, this might oh, just speed up, you know, make this more mainstream more quickly, I suppose. Yeah, this in, this in effect could possibly democratize it. It, it makes it really uh, easily accessible to people that may not have even given it a thought before or 
those that have, it'll make it easier for them to uh, to output more and more and more. So we'll be if seeing. They check, if they changed it ever so slightly, so that you can put ten feeds in it, but whoever's on the receiving end of that can pick which feed they want to watch. You can have a feed from the drummer and a feed from the guitarist and a feed from the keyboard player. And forgive me if you really discussed this when I was no. offline for a moment. But you could literally, you could um, jump around different areas of the gig and maybe you could have a couple of VIPs who have like webcams on their <laughs> heads or something. That's an interesting idea. I, did we, we, should, we looked at... Do you remember that? I can't remember the name that it was called Minicam or something like that. It was something that we looked and it was like a a representation of a gig and you could drive the camera where you wanted it to be oh, yeah, and yeah. focus hmm. on the keyboard player. I mean, that was some sort of clever, quick, uh, uh, quick, you know, quick time VR, quick time VR thing. Uh, that's <laughs> as, um, uh, yes, as Eric, uh, hold on. Uh, yes. Andy key said it would be great for Paul. And I dare say that's where it's going to go <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It's going to be used for, yeah, I mean, of course it will. Uh, Puckatronic says, uh, I agree, this will just be 10 million TJs pressing buttons on an NPC. Yes, there will be a lot of that. But I'm guessing, you know, as in, you know, being able to differentiate yourself musically from anything else, then, you know, you're going to have to come up against the same issues. You're still going to have to be better at it and be able to catch attention and maybe just be, be good or figure out how to get the most from this particular scenario. But I think it could be the beginning of something. I mean, it depends. I mean, I think there are a few things they probably need to sort out. But I, I like the fact, you know, if we could have an alternative to Skype, for instance, just if there's a bad Skype day, we could use perhaps, you know, um, Google Hangouts. But but the problem for me is I need to not run it in a browser because in a browser it's limited by a number of factors, you know, because the the, the, the linking up to the external cameras and all of that sort of thing is is not as robust as if it is a dedicated application. Just saying, like, Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, let's see what's next. Um, yeah, but I know anyway. Yeah, Google Plus Hangouts. I think now it's what they were just bringing it out to various people, but now I think it's everywhere. I think you can do it everywhere. Uh, ah, this one. My studio needs more of this stuff. I think it does. This is particularly stylish. This is the Darth Vader USB hub. I'm liking that. Uh, mm-hmm. Who makes that? That's by uh, the Darth Vader. It's four USB two ports. There it is. Ah, isn't that lovely? Uh, you can buy it from the Neato shop for forty four ninety nine. And what I did is uh, I, I sent out a couple of sort of social media posts and uh, just checked a few things out. And we need more of this kind of stuff. And uh, Tony Mac Doctor Tony Barbieri, who hasn't been around for a little while, uh, chipped in and he came up with some cracking suggestions. In fact, there's one here specifically for you, Mark, which I think you'll appreciate. Uh, if you look at that, there's like what looks like a um, two-stroke engine for oh, yeah. hub. Mm-hmm. I'm liking the look of that. And the other one that was particularly good uh, was the uh, Doomsday Device Hub that uh, got a key <laughs> and, and a special button. So when everything goes bad, I, I think there is a USB hub there somewhere, but I like the idea of that. Um, there's just tons of it. I, it seems like there's not enough of this in in, uh, in the world. There's, there were loads on this as well. What was this? These are kind of all these other funky... I mean, these are just USB oh, hubs. They're quite but cute. They are, aren't they? There's lots of this kind of yeah. thing. Anyone else see anything yeah. specific? Uh, PJ, you, I think, did you send something through? I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I did. got a chance to get it. I in sent you a, 
Yeah, I sent you a few links. Um, thinkgeek.com is a great place for this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Not just USB hubs, but other other things as well. And I think, uh, let's see, a couple of the things I sent through was one of those guitar pick makers like um, Gaz has uh, is fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm blanking on one, but also a USB beverage cooler, which is an idea that you can stick a uh, an aluminum can inside this device, hook it up to your USB port, and it'll keep your beverage cool. Uh, about 10 years ago, I had this idea in the opposite direction, a beverage warmer to keep your coffee thermos warm. And uh, none of the people around me thought it was a good idea. And oh, overnight, I forgot, right. I forgot it. But I think uh, ThinkGeek sells one of those as well. Yeah, there's a, so, uh, uh, there's a Star Trek elect- electronic door chime you sent through. I'm just going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I probably don't want to show. I my need. Gmail I need interface. one of those. What's this? Oh, the guitar pick. That was that. That is cool. You can make out of credit cards or anything. All these. I just think we don't have enough kind of groovy toys in the studio. As if, well, as if we don't have enough groovy toys in the studio. But I mean, the idea that we could have just things that are a bit more kind of technology that has a bit more of a thematic fun. USB LED beverage. Cool. Ah, oh, that's the other thing I forgot about. There was the um, that came in via Facebook. There was a. Uh, a Marshall fridge, which was just yeah, yeah. I think I, we looked at that before, didn't we? I'm not Marshall, sure if we the did. Marshall fridge. I'm going to see if I can find it. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I well, want one of those. I don't want my uh, Gmail. <laughs> yeah, the Marshall fridge. There was a. Uh, I see if I can find that. I'm sorry. This is. Uh, I, I. That's the one that I knew came in. It's a, a, on a Facebook uh, thing, but I don't think I can get to that without signing in, and I haven't got a keyboard on this. Where can you purchase one of those? I'd like to buy a Marshall fridge. Uh, I will have to check. I will have to put that in the the, the links. And there was a video, really, really awful video of a girl in sort of thigh length PVC boots, um, which was not necessary to sell the fridge. The fridge was fine. It was a very sort of corny eighties rock and roll joke. But uh, yeah, it, that was that was kind of great fun. I enjoyed that. Um, Mark, I mean. Had, how do you how do you get your studio kind of uh, a bit fun? I mean, do you use kind of unusual instruments or stickers on your stuff, or you know, things? Because I know a lot of people like to personalise their gear. Do you do that? Um, you need to go and watch the video I made of my uh, show that I did last weekend. I was playing my guitar with a hammer drill, <laughs> and it's very personalised now because <laughs> most of the paint's missing from the front of it. But I used the, I, I wasn't doing, I've seen people playing guitars with electric drills on YouTube because I kind of put mine on YouTube and then I tried searching for it and a whole load of others came up. But I wasn't doing what everyone else does, which is to like put the pick on the drill bit and have the pick play the strings. I was actually using the hammer action on the wood at the back to kind of like beat the living daylights out of the guitar. And it's the same kind of, because it goes, of course, it makes all the strings vibrate, so that uh, created quite an interesting effect. So, in answer to your question, I think things in my studio get customised over time by the strange uh, things that I do to them. So, <laughs> any of the customised stuff might be like my circuit bed and stuff is all painted weird colours and stuff. So, um, I've got some bright stuff in my studio, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I have, and I kind of I'm feeling like I maybe I should uh, get the spray can out, or or just you know maybe somebody should sell stickers specifically for pieces of equipment that fit in the gaps between the knobs, so you can just kind of customize <coughs> them that way. Print out templates. That would be good. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well, there we go. There's another idea. I'll throw that out there. I'll just take, um, you know, some free samples somewhere down the line. <laughs> we'll see. I noticed, I noticed that Tara Bush had put um, a TR909 swimsuit on wow. Facebook. Wow, yeah. See that? I, I did, actually. And I must say, I, the... <laughs> That that model was absolutely stunning. I mean, it was kind of hard not what, to the think. Or the, yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 model who was wearing the uh, the said swimwear. There was a nine oh nine. There was some various uh, chaosolators, uh, various, uh, and they. I mean, she looked absolutely gorgeous. It was hard not to kind of think. That's a classic example of wow. <laughs> I must buy one of those, but I'm not sure what it is. I want. I don't think it's actually the swimsuit. I think it's what's in the swimsuit, which is kind of is not obviously not what's on sale, and it's it's a slightly worrying kind of um, psychological I thing. I think if I wore that swimsuit to the local swimming pool, I'd get arrested. <laughs> I think you would too. And that was the other thing. I mean, nobody is going to look that good apart from her in it. You know, I mean, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty unlikely. You'd have to have a lot of bottle to wear with it because everyone's going to look at you. And um, I, if I know anything about most most women anyway, who aren't absolutely perfect and gorgeous in every way, it's that they don't really want people looking at them when they've hardly got any clothes on. Exactly. Anyway, I go. What? What is that? What? What? What, what are you wearing? I don't, I don't understand what it is because there's going to be people out there who don't actually know what a nine oh nine is. Although, you know, we live in a fascinating little world. If my dad saw it, he'd be like, "What? What is that?" <laughs> uh, where was it? So, oh, somebody said, "Oh, that's oh, gone." Oh yes, uh, so Andy Key said now, he tried to get his uh, missus to get one, and she said no. Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Right. Well, I've got to go. I've got to go because I've got to go and pick my daughter up from gym. But uh, that's been great fun. And uh, thank you very much for joining me this week. It's been um, time has passed as usual in a flash. So I want to thank you uh, very much for joining. Us. I want to thank our sponsors. Remember uh, Yamaha uh, O1V96i um, compact digital mixing console. Check them out. And also. Um, yeah, the Mac Pro video thing. If you want to find out about uh, automatic delay compensation, those settings in various doors, there's a great video on Mac Pro video. Uh, you can save 20% on any of that stuff by going to sonicstate.com forward slash MPV forward slash... Sorry. <laughs> sonicstate.com forward slash MPV. I wonder. Oh, this might open. I might actually be able to see the... Uh... Here we go. I'm going to show it now just quickly. I there's the swimsuit. Mm -hmm. Now... Woohoo! The thing is, that bit is great as well. I mean, she's just got such a fantastically sultry look to her. Anyway, but that, that's a fabulous. It does look does look pretty good, doesn't it? But I can't think anybody else would look quite so good in it as she does. My daughter probably would actually. Okay, well, that's probably something I don't really want to digest right now. Yeah, that's that's a topic for another time. time. <laughs> anyway, PJ Tracy, thank you very much for uh, joining us. PJ Tracy Sound, you can see what PJ's up to. And great to have you in video again there, PJ. Thank you very much. And I'm really looking yeah. forward to seeing your uh, hangouts. Do let us know. We'll we'll publicize it and uh, try and get as many people to come along and, and take a look at that for sure. Great. Most definitely. Most definitely, Nick. And uh, this video... Uh, Trist, I think, will be a regular thing. I've, I think I've worked out all of the bugs. So, Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, your signal path sounds fantastic. And, of course, uh, also Mark Tinley, uh, likebeing.com. Thank you also very much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you once again. You're very welcome. And um, very welcome. shame on you for bringing the uh, 909 swimsuit into the, into the show. But I'm sort of glad you did because uh, I'd forgotten just what a great photo that was. And just before we go, one last shot.
Anyway, that's it. Sonic Talk number 266 <laughs> is now over. Thank you very much for watching.